there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is back. And after a fun-filled weekend in which we all kind of took in the 30 for 30 series that was ESPN's The Last Dance, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the NBA playoffs, which would have officially gotten underway this past weekend. Maybe some things that we would have liked to have seen in the first round. But before we get to all that, I want to bring in my cohort. He is probably one of the many people that would have been more qualified to coach that Bulls team than Tim Floyd after that dynasty. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, how's it going? <laughs> kind words going well. Kind words. <laughs> not, 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 to I, hate I, on, not to hate on Tim Floyd, but when they dropped that bomb, I think it was in episode one or two. It's just like, Tim Floyd, really? You're going to bring a college guy in to coach this Bulls team? Uh, that was, yeah, that was definitely one of the moments where I'm just like, I'm just shaking my head because I'm thinking like, there's no way that something like that happens today. It just, it's just inconceivable. Yeah. You know, and the Bulls have a history of doing that, most notably Fred Hoiberg. So, but that's for another conversation. Anyway, man, uh, how have things been for you? How have the last week been, you know, last Friday was kind of fun for a lot of people. We finally got a little bit of normalcy with the WNBA draft. You know, we talked about that on last week's show. And so that was a lot of fun to take in. But anything else happening with you? Uh, a lot of work, a lot of work, uh, you know, with, over, over the uh, Star Telegram. And uh, because it, the area of Texas in general is, is NFL and football uh, crazy in a good way, uh, the NFL draft is obviously all the rage now. So, uh, so got something interesting to share with you guys. Uh, the Star Telegram is a McClatchy newspaper for those of you who do or don't know. Um, there was about 30 papers in the chain, uh, representing, you know, East, West, North, South. And, uh, so for the first time ever, the chain is going to do a, uh, a, a live streaming show and it'll be available on Facebook. Um, Kansas City Star is actually, which is, I know, I know you're, a you're, I am a, a- and 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 by the way, I pay for the digital pass, so I am supporting your parent company. Oh, you know, I'm about it. I'm about it. Basically, you're, so you're essentially you're kind of my my boss in a way, <laughs> a little bit. No, 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 no. You know, I, I just love good writers and I love good journalism, so yeah, well, that's well, why Casey, I support it. Well, cool. Thank you for that. Well, Casey's startup definitely has has some of those. So um, they are going to be taking the lead on uh, on an effort. So uh, on Facebook on Thursday night, facebook.com backslash uh, Kansas City Star, you'll be able to kind of watch our live stream event. And there'll be writers from everyone from um, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Miami Herald, uh, Charlotte Observer, 
uh, on and on and on, talking about the picks in real time, and 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 the fellow reporters and columnists will be coming on and making comments, and uh, it should be an interesting um, interesting experiment. First time that uh, that the uh, chain's ever done that. That's going to be really fun, you know, and I would assume, have you guys actually done a drive or kind of like a dry run of this or how it's all going to work out? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are just like flying by the seat of your pants no, for this. It's going to be awesome. No, no we, we, we did, we did do a kind of a, a walkthrough earlier today, but uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where we have some segments, a uh, couple of short segments, but you know, it, it, as you know, as, as someone who's seen drafts and covered drafts, everything is fine when you're looking at that draft board. But once picks start sliding around, you oh, know, that's yeah, and when the it trades gets... start coming in and you're trying <laughs> to figure out where your notes are. And, you know, I, I've, I've done numerous um, NBA draft uh, broadcasts on the radio side. You know, the tough thing about that is when when you're doing radio there's a, there, there's no graphics, you know, like when you're on TV, you can kind of get away with talking with the graphics and just kind of working with your producer. Cause your producer will get you through it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day on radio, you're flying much more by the seat of your pants. And, you know, you're kind of like flipping through all your notes of where things are, and you're just trying to kill time half the time. And when the NBA draft comes along, you know how it is. There's like six or seven trades that can happen in the first round of any NBA draft. And then when you get to the second round, nobody has any idea. No. So yeah, they're not fun. They're stressful. <laughs> they're painful. I, uh, I, I wish you good luck, my friend. Well, and we know that you're going to be with us all the way through for that 30 second pick. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, there were, there were some talk, you know, this isn't an NFL podcast and not that, you know, I'm an NFL insider, but there were some talks about maybe the chiefs trading up. I don't know where they would get the picks to trade up, but I will mm-hmm. be watching. Yeah, yeah, no, it should, it should be an interesting, uh, an interesting evening. But uh, we had an interesting evening the other night in terms of Sunday with regard to uh, episodes one and two of The Last Dance. Um, yeah, your, your your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'll say this: the way both those episodes were pieced together were beautiful. You know, I thought the editing style, the interviews, the one thing that that I couldn't take my eyes off of, you know, and as I was watching it, uh, um, I'm assuming where they interviewed Michael was down in Florida because I believe that he has a house in Florida and, you know, they, they have the interview set up and to the left of him is it's either a nice old fashioned or a nice glass of scotch. And, you know, you can see in the background, the like times a day are changing as they're interviewing him uh, based Mm. on those two episodes Mm -hmm. and the glass never changes, you know, like it never goes up. It never goes down. It's just static there the entire time. So I don't know if that was just put there for aesthetic appeal, but I appreciated that. And that was something that I noticed. But other than that, Otto, you know, it was so interesting to hear these guys talk about these moments 20 years later, you know, or what is it? 22 years later now, basically when those took place and to just hear their honesty and, you know, to hear about Michael as a college player and the way that, you know, he chose Carolina and just kind of his aggressiveness and competitiveness and how he always wanted to be the best. I thought those were interesting points, but the 360 story around it, I think ultimately is going to be the most prevailing tales that we hear in the most interesting aspect of it. You know, hearing about Scottie Pippen and his background and his family and, you know, how he came up through central Arkansas and, you know, kind of some of the stories of that last year. And then the interviews with Steve Kerr, it was just so beautifully done that it was riveting TV for two hours. What about you? Oh, it was very, very well crafted to say the least. I mean, the, the, the timeline, um, you know, you always wonder how you're going to, uh, cover as much ground as they had to cover in a way that that was as seamless as it as it 
could have been. I mean, this is a team, as you know, and most of our listeners know, won six titles over eight seasons, however, and involved uh, an 18-month break on the part of their star player to play another sport. But then we're going back to their college days, and they all came into the league at various points. And so, you know, it, it, I could very easily see how it would have been a, a nightmare from a from a um, uh, you know a layout standpoint, if you will, a timeline standpoint. How do you how do you frame this out? And so, I thought that was effective how they had that kind of little ticker as it slid back and forth. But I was I got to say, I was really moved by by the by the Pippin story. Um, you know, I, I knew that that he came from from mostly humble origins. I did not know the the story about his his dad and his brother. Um, you know, winding, needing, needing wheelchair for assistance, um, you know, and the, and the, and some of the, you know, knew, I guess I knew about some of the problems with the, with the GM Jerry Krause at the time, but, you know, didn't, probably was not as aware of how deep it went and how bad it really was. And that was really shocking and eye-opening. And and to have all of the footage was just, it, it, it was, it was amazing. It was great. It was. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about it, and, you know, I, I spoke about this, the, the candor of which they spoke with. And one of those obvious examples is, you know, you, you mentioned it, how they treated Jerry Krause kind of that last year, whether it was him on the bus, him at practices, at shoot around, at games. And, you, you know, the way they played up that entire storyline. But the one image that I kept going back to was uh, it was either a practice or a shoot around. And Jerry Krause is there mm-hmm. kind of just filling up his water. And Michael Jordan walks over and says something to him. And it was kind of something that was harsh and it was something that wasn't played up enough and then just walks away. You know, regardless of if you're a star level athlete, if you're the last guy on the bench, I can't imagine that would ever happen in today's NBA. Can you, I mean, just essentially players, two star players, regardless of the contract situation or the things that are going on, essentially having a mutiny against the GM and two, the second thing is at what point would a franchise in today's NBA world ever pick a general manager over a player and a coach? Yeah, it's really hard to imagine these days. I mean, so basically you have an owner in Jerry Reinsdorf taking the side of the GM Jerry Krause over uh, a player or even over his, his, his coach and Phil Jackson. And by telling him in, uh, in fall of 97 that basically, Hey, this is going to be your last run. He essentially ended the dynasty, which is which is crazy to think uh, these days. Uh, but anyway, um, our, our uh, one of our colleagues at, at Preview Media, Mike Wise, on on his show, uh, interviewed Charlie Rosen, who is uh, Phil Jackson's close friend. You know, if if Kraus hadn't said that Phil was gone after '98, and that that was obviously the last dance of the Bulls, would would Michael have stayed on and kept playing? Oh yes, oh yes, and really, at least. Oh, of course. They would have won at least two more championships. Really? So you think so 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 you think Michael got out uh because Phil essentially was, you know, persona non grata at that point with Jerry and they were gonna Reinsdorf was all behind, you know, moving on and didn't want to play right. like that's crazy. So they, they could have won at least a couple more. You're right. Oh, absolutely. You know, Otto and that clip's so interesting from so many different so many different perspectives, most notably because if there was one thing that and one storyline that they really trumpeted and that they built up in those first two episodes was, you know, MJ during his playing days was the ultimate guy about playing basketball the right way. You know, they show those clips 
in his second year after he'd come back from his injury and it was the fractured foot and them being concerned one about his career moving forward, but Michael's aggressiveness and his competitiveness and his will to get back and his ability to, Hey, I'm getting paid to play basketball and we're doing it to the 100th degree. You know, that was what he took pride in. You know, he always wanted to play the game the right way. And the thing that I go back to when I hear that clip is that's not surprising. You know, he had a coach at the NBA level that he loved and he adored and he had won championships with. And if he felt like he was wronged or if he felt like he didn't have faith in the front office anymore, then that doesn't surprise me. Or if he would have had faith in the front office that he would have stuck around. Well, I mean, that's just a really bizarre way for, for a dynasty to end, especially that particular dynasty. But then I'm thinking, you know, you look around, you know, does maybe this happens more than we know, you know, thinking about the Lakers, um, and, and how, how they, uh, kind of ended in, 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 in trailed off. Um, you kind of wonder if, if somehow that, you know, maybe things are just meant to last for a certain amount of time. I understand, you know, yes, they probably would have won another one or two, but is, is there something to it where, you know, things, things of this nature are only meant to last a certain amount of time. And that's a good point. The, the, the thing that I keep going back to everything has a shelf life, right? Like not all things are meant to last forever. And that's kind of what you said. And specifically when you look at it in the terms of the NBA, you know, the Warriors had their run, but like their players were the ones who chose to end that, right? Like KD wanted to leave and do his own thing with his own team and not be a part of a team that had already won it. So they kind of discombobulated from within that wasn't the front office you know and even when i think of local stories here in orlando you know the magic tried to choose dwight howard over stan van gundy that didn't happen you know they got rid of stan and stan was a very lovable and likable coach here in central florida but they chose the player over the front office personnel and that's how it should be because ultimately in the nba the players are what win you basketball games and you know so it was so rare. And I think part of it is at that age, the NBA wasn't at the level that it was now. And I don't think it was fully conceived just how special some players can be at that level and how special some players can be particularly together like it was then. They'd gone overseas and had a tremendous outpouring of support uh, for, for Michael and the team. But, but yeah, I think the league was still trying to, we'll say figure it out, but they're still learning what they actually had and, and, you know, what it has blossomed in, into is something that that is incredible. Um, but it just, it just kind of all of it, as I, as I watched it, I kept thinking, uh, watching what was happening then and then trying to relate it to what is going on now. And in, and in many ways, it just seemed like um, another product. I mean, yes, it was still basketball, but it felt like another league or, or, uh, um, like a league in an alternate universe in a, in a sense, if that makes any sense. Well, and that, you know, that's a tremendous point. You know, you look at a lot of the highlights and MJ was tremendous, right? But how many guys in today's game specifically can do the things that Michael was doing then that were perceived as unbelievable moments? Like you look at some of those dunks that they showed and what was it, his second year in the round between him and Boston, right? Like the, the game that he went for, what was it, 49 63. or 50 or 63? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you look at the shots that he took, and none of those, they, they were all mid-range jump shots. And there were more three-pointers. You know, you look at the dunks that he had and how many of those kind of dunks do we see and we just take for granted today? You didn't now, see that then. And that was the difference, right? Yeah, like there yeah. weren't players built like Michael Jordan then. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, and by the way, that that Celtics team, it was like basically the the, the starting five of practically all Hall of Famers. I mean, <laughs> now some of them were a little bit older, but that still, I mean, they were. It, it's it's just an amazing performance. I me- I remember watching that game uh, live and and being just kind of in awe of what was happening. And uh, you know, and and it's you know, all these years later, it's it's like my I think my jaw was still on the floor <laughs> watching some of some watching some of those moves. And you know, that's the that's the thing, right? Like that dynasty, particularly, they'll be remembered for the championships, but more so the way they changed the culture of basketball. You know, Jumpman became everything, Jordan became the GOAT, Pippin was his Robin. You know, everybody remembers that. And ultimately what they did for the culture of basketball and the influence that basketball has now is way more beneficial than the championships those teams won together. So looking ahead, I mean, obviously hella curious as to see what this uh, Rodman segment is going to be like. Um, and any, any, uh, any thoughts, anything that you're looking for? I'm just interested to see how his personality specifically maybe either clashed with Pippin or Jordan and where that goes. Full stop. Okay, we spent the bulk of this show talking about The Last Dance, and you know we do want to highlight a little bit more about that. And we're going to go ahead and bring in our chief content officer of Pure Hoops Media. His name is Bruce Bernstein. He sits in on every show, and he gives us notes, and he critiques us. But now it's time for us to bring him in. Bruce, you spent 32 years at ESPN, of course, leading SportsCenter's coverage of the NBA. You know, you covered a lot of finals. When you watch those first two episodes, let's start there and let's just get your take because you, you know, as well as Otto know the NBA and have a history of the NBA that I will just never have. What were, what was it for those two episodes that stuck out to you? It was really just a lot of the building block stuff of Michael Jordan's career because, uh, the 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 games that they showed in 86 against Boston when he went for 49 and 63 that was really his second year in the league and again he had missed most of that season with his broken foot so to me those were thrilling memories i'm a celtics fan i remember those games very well so to me that was all kind of laying the groundwork for all the good stuff that's to come yeah the jerry krause stuff was interesting and I kind of knew a lot about that, but the younger fans today really didn't have a clue about it. But uh, yeah, you know, that's the amazing thing to me is, you know, one of my favorite things about pieces of work like this that garner so much attention is the conversations that fall on the social channels. Right. And you guys are all on Twitter and you guys follow it, but it's been a long time really that sports has kind of gravitated people to a conversation like that, that people were having on Twitter, you know, and, you see it in the games and whatnot, but a whole country essentially felt like they were watching that documentary at once and together. And so the conversations and the amount of people that were amazed either by Pippin's contract or by the narrative with Krauss was just so interesting to me. Well, to me, the, 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 the team, the signature team out of all of those teams was the 1996 team, even though they had won, you know, they beat the Lakers in 91, they beat Portland in 92, they beat Charles in 93, then Michael went off to play baseball. And then that 96 team, oh my God, they went 72 and 10, okay? And that finals was really the third finals that I did for ESPN, uh, you know, for SportsCenter. And it was unbelievably memorable to me because 
The Sonics were the second best record in the NBA that year. They had 64 wins. So Bulls were 72 wins, Sonics 64. Two best records in the league. In the finals, the Bulls win the first two at home. Then in game three in Seattle, it was 2-3-2 back then. Game three in Seattle, the Bulls won that game, and they dominated it. They won by 22. So they had a 3-0 series lead. Now, at this point, they're 72-10 and 10 in the regular season. They're 14-1 and 1 in the playoffs at this point. So they're 86 and 11, and you just know they're going to finish these guys, except that's not what happened. Um, the game, the, the fourth game wasn't until the following Wednesday, and Sonics win. I'm thinking, all right, Father's Day is Sunday. I'm, I'm going to be home for Father's Day, no problem. Uh, and then they go to game five, which is on Friday night, and it's got to end there, right? And then I can travel Saturday, be home for Sunday? No. The uh, game five uh, went to the Sonics, too. They grinded it out. So now it's back to Chicago for game six on Father's Day. It was excruciating to me to have to miss Father's Day that year because we all knew the Bulls were going to win the series in six. And um, all my fellow dads missed Father's Day as well, but at least it didn't go seven. Yeah. And what was kind of the the most important thing or the thing that you remember most about covering that? You know, it's funny. One of the it's weird the things you remember. The key arena where the Sonics were playing at the time was the loudest house I had ever been in. I don't know what the acoustics of that place were, but it was just the loudest I had ever been in. And I forget what game it was, but they did some indoor fireworks before one of the games. And the arena was just in this cloud of smoke for like the entire first half of the game because they had all the vents covered with all these like banners for NBA finals, whatever. So the air, the escape route for the air with all this smoke couldn't leave. So I remember just this haze. I don't remember what game it was. It it, might have been game three, might have been game four. But at that point, it was like, how can they not be finishing these guys? What is going on here? But, you know, the amazing thing about that Supersonics team and the run that they went on is how different could that have franchise been had they finally won the NBA championship? Because you think about how good those Supersonics teams were, especially during that period. That was kind of like their missed chance. They were because after that, the Jazz, it was them and the Jazz, kind of the two best teams in the West at that point. I'm sure Otto remembers that too. And then the Jazz made it to the finals the next two years, only to be beaten by the Bulls both times. But, um, you know, to me, the the Sonics, they were flawed, but they had a really good coach. George Carl was, was, was there, and Gary Payton was doing his thing as the glove. And, you know, the Rain Man, of course, Sean Kemp. They had other great players, Nate McMillan, Detlef Schrempf. Uh, and the fan, the Seattle fans were such great fans. They're still great NBA fans in, in Seattle. Otto, should they be getting a team again? Oh, they should definitely get a team again. I would I would love to see a team you know, back in Seattle. So, so here's my question. You, know, you covered 96, you covered 97, you covered 98. Uh, and obviously the Bulls were the better team on paper and reality and every other form of, of any, any other measure. So my question is, could which of those three teams, 96, 97, 98, do you feel was the best Bulls team? Well, you know, based on the record, I think it was 96. But people forget, in 97, the Bulls won 69 games that year. So it was like, well, they won 72, and then they went all the way down to 69, which at the time was tied for the largest number of regular season wins with the 72 Lakers, the famous team that 
won the championship for Jerry West with the 33-game winning streak. So it's very possible that that middle team, that 97 team, was the most highly motivated because if you remember, Carl Malone won the MVP in 1997, right? The media gave it to him. And Michael Jordan was pissed. Mm -hmm. And I think because the, the Bulls won 69 games, the Jazz, I think, won 64. I mean, they were great. They had a great season. But that was that was the year that, you know, I think Michael really, you know, where you saw how angry he was about not being named the MVP. And that was also the legendary flu game that year, too, in 97. People think it was 98, but it wasn't. It was 97. So I think that middle team might actually have been the best of the three. Well, I want to do a follow-up on the flu game. So, you know, we, we've, we've, we saw the game. We, we've, we've seen highlights. We've seen people talking about the game from someone who was there live what was a takeaway that that might not have come through or something that, that someone at home might have missed all these years later? What I remember, and again, you know, back then, 1997, I was I had a seat in the arena, but I don't think I had a monitor, so I wasn't able to hear the announcers or anything. But you could just see on the bench, there were times where he was just kind of like slumping into Scotty Pippen's sort of space, you know, kind of Scotty was sort of holding him up a little bit on the bench. And I don't think in real time, I realized the magnitude of what he was going through. Cause again, I'm watching it and I'm looking at a guy and I'm thinking, okay, it's the end of the season. He's exhausted. He's given it at all, given it his all. And I didn't even realize what, what physical limitations he had during that game. Yeah. And, and Bruce, so you look at it the next year, it's a rematch with that jazz team. You know, they had just been finished off four two and there was anticipation, obviously, all season long, building towards that NBA Finals and the way that Bulls team could finish it. What were some of the storylines you guys were following, and what were some of the things that you really remember about that last series? It was really the, the you know, one of the things I remember is that, you know, the Utah Arena, which I believe at the time was called the Delta Center. It's called something else now. I don't they they, they changed the names a lot. That was next to the Seattle Key Arena in 96. That place was a madhouse. It was crazy. And the Utah fans can be, shall we say, not so nice to opponents. They <laughs> scream like some nasty stuff at opposing players. And I mean, it's, it's a, a lot of that hasn't changed, right? I mean, I don't know why it is, but I'm not going to ascribe any motives to that. It's just a tough place to play. And so, but I don't think anybody really felt like, oh yeah, Utah's going to get them this time. It's like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not going to get them this time. Uh, and they didn't get them this time. It was another six-game series. The the In that series, you know, Michael had the flu game in 97. This one was the push-off in game six, where I've watched that play so many times, and it was so clever by Michael. He kind of gave Brian Russell a little gentle push on his right butt cheek with an open palm, just enough to knock him off balance, and then he nailed the jumper. So, you know, it was it was always going to be the Bulls. I mean, I don't think anybody thought Utah was going to win that series. Is there ever if, – if so if, if that play gets replayed, say, 10 times or, or nine more times or 99 more times, how many times would, would that still not get called any time <laughs> at any point? Jordan rules, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Superstar calls. You're Brian Russell. You're Michael Jordan. Swallow that whistle, ref. 
Yeah. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Okay, so since we are in a virtual world these days, we are going to have a virtual playoffs. Damn it, we're gonna we're gonna have a playoffs. If uh, we're gonna have playoffs one way or the other, so um, what we're gonna do here is we're gonna basically gonna talk about the first round series, and then as we go through in, in future weeks, we'll talk about each round what we think we would have seen. And so for me, um, you know, now being a, a, a guy who is a resident of Texas, I and for selfish reasons, and I will totally admit they're for selfish reasons, I would have loved to have seen a Clippers a Mavericks series. Now I know the series would have started in LA. But and, and the Mavericks would have had game three and game four, and it might have ended there. But uh, it would have been really fascinating to see uh, Luca and and uh, you know and Kristaps go up against the Clippers. Now they were only they they played them twice. They lost both games during the regular season than the ones the two that they played. But that, for me, that would have been a, a something I was looking forward to. Aaron, yeah, um, and well, you know, if we're doing this virtual, if anybody wants to hop on NBA 2K and we can just recreate this all in video game style. I'd be up for that. You know, with my quarantine, I've been playing a lot of NBA 2K <laughs> lately. Autumn. So, you know, if that's something of anything, but if I'm looking at the West, you know, and we were talking about this off air, one of the most disappointing and maybe frustrating things about the end of the season, the way that it has been is the level of which we were watching LeBron, you know, LeBron in, what is it, year 17 now? Is it 17 or 18? I, I forget. He's played at just such a high level for so long. But, you know, in this last year was playing as efficient and as angry and as hungry as we've seen in a long time. And he was on his way to an MVP-type campaign. And then, you know, you look at if the season was frozen today and where they were going to play, they would have played that Grizzlies team. And you look at the young players of which they employ. John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and kind of the fun and nature that they've taken a Grizzlies team that was really known for just its grinded-out style of defense, and they've made them fun and hip. And so to see that clash of, you know, the elder statesman of the league that still continues to dominate and defy Mother Nature opposite of kind of the young guns would have been a lot of fun. And, you know, just to build off what you said with that Mavs series, the league is in such good hands with its young players seeing Luca play in the playoffs would have been so much fun and it would have just been must watch TV every single night. What about you from the Eastern conference? Well, before we go there. So the other cool thing is that with, uh, with both the Lakers and the Clippers uh, being one and two, you basically would have had, you know, two game or four games in the span of probably four days in the same building. And you talk about having that. So you'd have four teams basically kind of, just right there in the middle of Staples Center, uh, and and to, to to your point, the you know having the 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 old guys and the young teams and kind of all there for what probably would have been a five day stretch really would have been special for uh, for uh, basketball fans in LA. They really really been would have been treated to something nice. Um, Switching to the East, so look, I'm 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 a former New York guy and and used to live between Boston and you know and in Philly, and so. I got to think that that probably would have been the most intense series. I mean, anytime those two teams get hooked up, you never really, really know what you're going to get. I now it, it, I believe they sw- the um they split um you know for four games that they played thus far, you know, in the in the in the, in the season. So I would have I would expect nothing less. I would have expected to see the series to go the distance and probably had some epic battles. Yeah. Well, you know, for sure. And, you know, um, I was looking at the season splits this year, but Boston was one and three against Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, you know, always seems to be having 
some kind of ancillary storyline, whether it's Brett Brown, if he's going to stay the head coach there, if they're going to still elect him, bring him back next year, or if it's, you know, Joel Embiid and his playoff performances or Ben Simmons inability to shoot the three with this talented and as good of a group as that Philadelphia team has had for so long, they just get in their own way. And I don't, I don't even know how other, how else to explain it or put it into words besides that. And, uh, but if I was going to pick one series that particularly intrigued me and no one else in the basketball universe is going to agree with this and that's completely okay, but I would have been really intrigued to see what the magic could have done back to back years in the playoffs. You know, they come off one year in which they pretty much just got annihilated by Toronto and Pascal Siakam when he had his coming out party in that first round. But, you know, last year they didn't have a real point guard. DJ Augustine was their lead guard. And Markel Fultz was really starting to come on the second half of the year. The shot was kind of developing. It wasn't fully there. But to have them have a lead guard, I thought their length could have really bothered Milwaukee. And if they could have taken one game or if they could have taken two, that would have been something really interesting to watch. But, you know, there's another storyline there with John Hammond, who's now the GM of the Magic, going against, you know, his former employer, and the Milwaukee Bucks and the team that basically he constructed and he drafted Giannis with Jeff Weltman. So there would have just been a lot of interesting ties, particularly with that series. Well, look, you, you, you were probably right. There may not be. A <laughs> but, but also but like but Miami and Indiana would be really interesting to follow too. And that's kind of the thing about the Eastern conference. You know, everybody wants to hate on the East and that doesn't have a lot of star power, but you look at some of these teams and they're solid, man, like Toronto and Brooklyn, Brooklyn probably wouldn't have had Kyrie. They definitely wouldn't have had Katie, but that Brooklyn team is still scrappy. And then, you know, Miami and Indiana with, you know, is Victor Oladipo back to hundred percent. Is he 75% for that series? And what else happens with them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely way more, you know, a whole lot more question marks with regard to the, the, the series than the, uh, on, on the East. But, um, but I'm looking forward to having this uh, conversation after, after the 2K results are in and we could take it to the, uh, to the conference semifinals in, in a couple of weeks and, and see where we net out. So. Hey, if anyone wants to hop on 2K, my gamer tag is Aaron Berlin, 1989. So hit me oh. up. Well, there it is. You're, you're, you're heard it from the man himself. So, hey, look, that's going to do it for this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Uh, would want to thank our extra special guest today, Bruce Bernstein. <sighs> that's the crowd going crazy. <laughs> also want to thank our producer, Scott Turkin, as well as our editor, Ben Wolfen. Absolutely. And guys, check out all of our content here on Pure Hoops Media. These guys are doing yeoman's work, man. We have shows every single day, but the Mike Weiss show, as always, drops on Monday. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams drops on Tuesday. We are here for your Wednesdays. And then, of course, Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. And then on Friday, we have our flagship show. It is the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Make sure you listen to them, share, hit that subscribe button, and make sure you give them all a follow on Twitter. Hey, and one final, final reminder, everybody. Um, kudos to our first responders. Uh, you know, again, practice safe distancing. Um, doctors, nurses, uh, police, fire, all the folks who are doing their jobs so that uh, so that the rest of us could be staying safe and uh, you know, you know, hopefully overcome this in the weeks ahead. Just want to give one final acknowledgement to everybody. Uh, who's doing the right thing and stay safe, wash your hands and all all that good stuff. And hopefully we'll uh, see each other soon. Thank you. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.